We're reading from Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. He said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for that one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Well, hello, everybody. My name's John. One of the pastors here. It's good to be with you here tonight. Uh, we are going to be having a look at that passage that Anne just read. So if you've got your phones, leave them open, not on Facebook, uh, but at the passage. But if I get really boring, I will not hold it against you. Uh, now, I wonder whether uh, June 2011 means anything to you. No. Well, there was an amazing thing happened in Goodyear blimp history. In Germany, there was a crash. That's not the good part. Um, And the crash uh, involved uh, four passengers. And one of them was the pilot, and he was an Australian pilot. And the Goodyear blimp in Germany started catching on fire. So the, the pilot... Is it a pilot? Is that what you call him in the Goodyear blimp? I'm getting, let's just go with that. Actually drove, flew the Goodyear blimp as low to the ground as he possibly could and told the three passengers to jump out while as soon as they'd done that, he then flew it up into the air where it blew up in the air safe from harming anybody else. He rescued three people at the risk of his own life. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? I don't know if I would think that quick in a moment like that. And the newspaper articles were all about how great a man this was, how great a sacrifice this was. They were all about his greatness. And you would have noticed in the passage that we read tonight that that idea comes up, that idea of greatness. 
See, greatness is that thing that uh, it's, it, it can be something that we want. It can be a moment that we find ourselves in like this Australian pilot. But really, when we are honest with ourselves, deep down inside us all, there is this desire for a, even just a little bit of greatness. And I think there's a desire for a little bit of greatness because we know that if people see that we're just a little bit great, then people will know us and we'll feel like we've been seen. That's one of our greatest needs, isn't it? We don't want to be ignored or forgotten. And so greatness is one of those things that helps us endure through time. That actually make people want to stop and go, Hey, how are you doing? You know that person when you walk into a room that always gets greeted by everybody else? I was at a party once and I was talking to one of those people. I knew the person who walked in, but they greeted this person who was actually quite a, you know, a bigwig and ignored me. It's like, right, okay. I'll go get drinks. But it's a it's, it's horrible feeling. So what has Jesus got to say about greatness? Let me pray and we'll have a look. Let's do that. Holy gracious God, we thank you for our time together tonight. Father, we thank you uh, for the rain and for this opportunity of quietness. We pray that it continues. But Father, if not, and uh, no matter how, Father, we pray that, uh, that you would speak to us through your word and through your spirit tonight. Amen. All right, well, let's have a look at this question. Verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, you notice that they haven't come to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, can we have a philosophical conversation? Let's get meaningful. Let us ponder. Let's ponder this interesting concept of human greatness. Have you ever gone up to somebody and had that kind of conversation? Liam, let's sit and talk about the, the, the condition of human greatness. It's not what, the, it's not what the, uh, the disciples are doing to Jesus. In fact, what they do is they come to him with a very honest and serious question. And it's actually a reasonable question to ask because throughout Matthew's Gospel so far, we've seen Jesus on and off talk about the kingdom. He's come to bring the kingdom. He's preaching the kingdom. The kingdom is coming. And so it is fair enough for his disciples... We've got camera dramas. Camera's not very great today. Uh, it is fair enough for his disciples to go, well, okay, kingdom. We're thinking kingdom. Uh, like any sort of corporation or administration or organisation, kingdoms have structures. Uh, they have a pecking order. They have hierarchy. Uh, you know, there's a, some sort of corporate ladder or so. That, so they're thinking, okay, well, if there's going to be all these things, there's going to be people at the top, people in the middle, people at the bottom. Who's going to be where? Am I going to be at the top? Who's going to be at the top if it's not me? And so they ask this question, who's going to have what position? Who's going to have the top position when Jesus brings this kingdom? Now, if you've heard this, if it sounds like you've heard this story in a different gospel before, you'd be right, because it happens in Mark. And Mark actually gives us a little bit of context to why this conversation is happening. So in Mark 9, 33 and 34, it gives us this uh, discussion that had been happening and we find out that there actually been a bit of an argument happening on a journey between the disciples and you could imagine how it went it's like who's going to be the greatest oh it's going to be me for sure 
I was the first one. You imagine Peter going, I was the first one called. He called me rock. Like, that's got to mean something. Right? Well, and John's probably going, well, he calls me the one that he loves, so it's got to be me. You can imagine the little banter going on. Who's going to be the one? Who's, who, who has the, that privilege of being the one? Who is going to have that highest position? And so this argument breaks out and Jesus understands what is going on and he responds. See, these disciples, when they ask this question of Jesus, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? One of them is hoping that Jesus will say, you. Maybe it's James. James is, is there hoping, saying, yeah, James, I, 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 I pick you because you're the greatest of, for all that you've done. You're an awesome dude. You do nice things. You speak nice to people. You're the greatest. But Jesus' answer isn't like that at all. It's probably not what they expected at all. It's actually one of those upside-down type of uh, responses that Jesus does. That upside-down understanding of greatness, it's, it's counter-cultural, it's counter-intuitive. Jesus is saying to the disciples and to us, you need to look at this idea of greatness from a different perspective, from a true perspective. So the disciples had a very similar understanding of greatness that we do still today. See, greatness is measured by who you step on to get to the top or winning or achieving something through great effort, striving. You think of athletes who become great because they work hard and they sacrifice a great deal. That sort of idea. The disciples would, have, would not have been that much different. They too would have been thinking in terms of qualifications and position of power and privilege, comparing themselves to others, trying to exalt themselves over other people, trying to be better than others. But Jesus turns this on its head and he says you need to look at it differently. It's a bit like, you know those pictures that you get where you've got to squint and kind of turn your head slightly to actually see the picture? Have you ever seen one of those? And people have those books. If you've got one of those books and I come out of your house, I will be there for years. Because no matter what I do and how I squint, with or without my glasses and even standing on my head, I can't make them out. I think, I think there's something wrong with me. Um, if anyone's got any tips, I'd love to hear them. But Jesus is, is what he's saying. We need to look at things differently to see this picture clearly. And what he's saying is that the way we look at greatness is actually to take on a different mindset. And that is to take on the mindset of a child. Pick a random age of a four-year-old child. Does anyone know any four-year-olds? Anyone got any four-year-olds? I had a four-year-old. I had a couple of four-year-olds at certain times. Now, if someone came up to you and said, you need to start thinking about greatness by being a four-year-old, you would think that that'd be a bit offensive, wouldn't you? It's like, I know some of us here have got more than one degree. Some of us are studying for more than one degree at the same time, and I'll take my hat off to you. Some of us have got PhDs. Some of us are just like, I'm an adult. Like, I do adult things. I pay bills now. I'm adulting. It's offensive to call me a child. And some of us here are just like, I've just got to the stage where I'm not called a child anymore, and now you're telling me to go and be a child. And then there's some of us here going, child, yeah, I get to be a child again. 
That's me. That's not what's going on. Hear the words of Jesus where he says this. He says in, in chapter 18, verses 2 and 3, verse 3 in particular, he says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like a little, like little children. So he says like. He doesn't say become one. But he says be like one. He says become like a four-year-old, a bit like this little four-year-old. Maybe not. That was one of my four-year-olds who's just turned 15, so I feel very old. But this little four-year-old knew that she was completely dependent on her parents. She knew that she had no influence. Well, maybe she had some influence over her parents when she put on a little cute smile. But she was weaker than most adults. She couldn't make any money. She was a wonderful little child, but there's no exceptional abilities. She had no authority or power. She just loved her daddy. She knows that she knew that she was dependent on him and she delighted in him. She didn't even think about comparing herself to others. She, all she thought about was how wonderful mum and dad were. Jesus is saying, we need to become like that. If we become like that, he says, then we can enter the kingdom of heaven. He's saying that we stop comparing ourselves or trying to fight and struggle and drive ourselves to burn out to try and get greatness. He's saying, no, we are to delight in our heavenly daddy. We are to think about how wonderful he is. We are to love our heavenly father and glorify him to find our dependence in him and not in what we do. So not finding our identity in this pursuit of something that we will never truly ever get to, but to find our identity in our God who loves us. That is the point that Jesus is making here about true greatness. The question, though, is why? Why do we need to think about greatness this way? Why do we need to think about greatness as well? Why does Jesus talk about it? In fact, in our community groups, we'll be going through chapters 18 through to 20. Why are we picking up just one part of this section? Because this, these, these, verse, these chapters actually talk about how we are to live as God's people, as people as part of the kingdom of God. Why are we picking up greatness? Because it's something that Jesus highlights more often than not. He doesn't say, uh, great are those who, uh, uh, who don't lie all the time. He doesn't say, great are all those who are morally upright. He says, great are all those who are what? Humble. And so we want to pick up this idea of greatness is actually found in humility. To be the greatest in the kingdom is to actually lower ourselves. To be great in the kingdom of God is to be the lowest. Now, if you have a think about it like this, who has gone the lowest throughout history? 
bit like that, that limbo idea, you know, how low can you go? Who has gone the lowest? Well, it's Jesus, isn't it? At the end of the passage we had read, uh, Jesus shifts metaphors from talking about children to talking about sheep. And he talks about, um, he talks about sheep because what we understand is that the God is the great shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd we find in John. And that the shepherd goes after the sheep when they get lost. Now that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's a wonderful story to hear. Sheep get lost, shepherd goes after them, shepherd brings back, hooray! But there's more to it than that. Because how did God go after his lost sheep? How did he go after us as his lost sheep? By sending Jesus the ultimate shepherd. He's the ultimate shepherd not because he is a shepherd, but because he came, became like the sheep. And then he went to the cross and he became lost in our place. And when he went to the cross, he became a lost sheep. He was lost and no one came to find him. No one came to get Jesus down off the cross and save him. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was no rescue. No one came to find him for the sole purpose so that he would die for our sins. He died in our place to rescue us so that we would be found. In that story of the the lost sheep out of the 99, you and I are that one. And God sent his son to give his life to find you and me. If that does not bring you and me to humility, I don't know what will. To know that someone gave their life for you, for me, so that we could live in eternity forever. That's huge. In fact, as a 19th century uh, Anglican bishop, J.C. Ryle, who I, I, I love some of his stuff, he says this, he says, the surest mark of true conversion is humility. Because he understands what Jesus is saying here. Now, could you imagine the disciples at this moment hearing this from Jesus? This is not the answer they were after. They probably had a bit of a headache like you would from squinting and tilting your head to look at that picture. They're trying to figure out what Jesus is saying. They may even uh, think, and and we might even think, I say, yeah, sure, Jesus, we get you're the greatest. Okay, we get that. No one's greater than you. We're all beneath you. Fair enough, that's okay. But what about us ordinary people? Who's going to be the greatest of the ordinary people? You know, just the, the normal people. Who's going to be the greatest? Could it be me? Could it be you? Could it be someone else? Well, Jesus tells us in verse, uh, in verse 4 that whoever humbles themselves like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says in verse 3 that unless you turn and become like a child, unless you become humble like a four-year-old, you will not even enter the kingdom. And then he says in verse 4 that if you humble yourselves like this child, you are the greatest in the kingdom. You see what happens there? 
Everyone in the kingdom is the greatest. Why? Because we've all been washed in the same blood. Jesus, the same Jesus, has died for you and for me. We've all been given righteousness from God, not from ourselves. There will be no hierarchy in the people of God when we gather in heaven. And so therefore there should be no hierarchy when we gather together as God's people here on earth. We can easily enter a room, like I said at the beginning, and greet all the people who we know and like and know that they will build us up and they're easy to talk to and we know that we get along because we've got things in common. We go for those people sometimes, don't we? You ever walked into a room and kind of done a, a screen of the room? Going, okay, who's the person I need to avoid? You ever done that? We're all guilty of it from time to time, aren't we? Sometimes more often than not. Let's be honest. But as we gather as God's people, we're not to do that because we're not looking at to what people can give me so that I feel great. We're not looking at what I can get from somebody else so that I might be able to get some information or uh, get the inside goss or get some sort of power or anything like that. When we gather together as God's people, we are to come open-handedly and humbly and saying, who can I serve? Not who's going to serve me. You ever prayed that when you come before you get out of the car and walk into church? You ever prayed, God, I pray that you will show me who I can serve tonight. Father God, I pray that you will make it really clear to me who I can get alongside and love and serve. See, true greatness is not stepping on people so that we, that we get higher. But it's actually that we stoop down and we pick up those who have fallen and lift them up higher. That is greatness. That is the greatness that Jesus is talking about here. And can I say, I love our community, how we, uh, as Amelia said so wonderfully, we are an all-age, all-stage church. That we're, we, not only that, but we come from different backgrounds, different, different places. Not everybody grew up in the Shire. Not everybody likes the same things. And I love it when we eat together and I see people sitting together who in no way, shape or form would have ever been near each other if it wasn't for Jesus. Looking out here, and please do not take any offence to this, but if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't talk to any of you. There's no offence, man. Because I wouldn't be here, and I probably wouldn't know you. Because I'd be like with everybody else I used to hang out with, I'd be off at the pub or something else tonight, and I would not be here. So please don't take offence to that in any way. All I'm trying to do is highlight the fact that it is because of what Jesus has done for us that brings us together. And because of what he's done, it humbles us so that we, we go to one another and we share our lives with one another. We don't hold back. 
and we seek to serve and to build one another up, to lift one another up, so that we see more people come to know Jesus, but to grow in their faith. And so that this place becomes a place where people feel comfortable to come, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done or where they've come from. That they feel comfortable and safe to be here. That we, no matter what week we've had, you ever have one of those weeks where you just think, oh, I just can't do people today? You know those? My prayer is that we continue to be a place where no matter what we've gone through that week, we know that even if we can't, we feel like we just can't do people today, we know that there'll be people there who will love us and serve us. Because we are people who love Jesus and love one another. And so this idea of greatness that, that flows through these chapters 18 through to 20 picks up on this idea of being humble before God, humble before each other. Humble in the fact that we know that we've all been washed in the same blood. And so my prayer for us, and I pray that this will be your prayer too, is that we will be looking out for those people around us that we might not know yet and that we will get to know them. That we'd encourage each other. That we'd be practising being God's community here on earth because we're going to have all eternity to do it. So we might as well get in some practice now. Let me pray. Dear gracious God, we thank, you for, uh, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that while we were still far off, like lost sheep, you sent your son, the great shepherd, the ultimate shepherd, to find us, to rescue us, to bring us into the fold, to be your children. And Father, we know that this came at the expense of the, the life of your son. The one who was highest came low for us. Father, I pray that we would keep this in mind and that it would humble us. And then like you came to us, may we go out to those around us and take your love and your truth. And may we be a blessing to all and to each other. Amen.